Blog Talk Radio. Welcome. You're listening to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Fatman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. Hey, what's cracking? It's Darren McDuffie here, alias Fat Man, helping you become perfectly healthy and toned. Just had some uh, technical difficulties just now, so hopefully everything is okay. I had to actually log off and connect back on, but hopefully everything is okay now, and we'll get started with the show. But before I get started, just wanted to remind you of last week's show, which I always do. If you did not hear last week's show, just know that it blew my mind. So I know when you listen to it, it's going to blow your mind. I had to have Dr. Tom Cowan on, and that wasn't last week. That was actually Monday's show, rather. And we were talking about the heart, cardiac myths. And um, what blew my mind was that he was explaining how the heart is actually not a pump. So we, <laughs> we had a really good discussion. You probably have to listen to that show a couple of times just to get what he said. I got it instantly off the bat, but of course, my knowledge is maybe a little bit more advanced than yours, so you may have to listen to it maybe two or three times before you actually get the gist of what he was actually saying, but very entertaining show. When I got off the air with him, I was just really wanting to research. I went back to his book and started actually uh, really digging in deep and looking at some different stuff and looking at some research and it's always good anytime I have a guest on and they can kind of what I call shatter my beliefs. So if you get a chance, go back and listen to that show with Dr. Tom Cowan. It's called Cardiac Myths, Cardiac Health Myths, rather. And uh, again, that show will blow your mind. Tonight, we have Dr. Thaddeus Gala on, and we'll be talking about inflammation. Inflammation is something that I learned about long, long time ago, and I learned it as the catalyst for all disease, and we'll be talking a little bit about that tonight, but let me get to Dr. Gala's bio. Dr. Thaddeus Gala is the founder and medical director of both My Diabetic Solution and Complete Care in Southern Oregon. Ever since watching his mother's health transform from bedridden illness to vibrant health coach she is today, he has been dedicated to pursuing and promoting health. Dr. Gallup performs health lectures on nutrition, weight loss, and diabetic and disease management within the clinic and at various locations across the country. Dr. Thaddeus Gallup, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Toned Radio. Thank you. you. There? It's, it's great to be here. This is, uh, yeah, this is, this is wonderful. I've been really looking forward to this. Well, thank you so much for coming on. You and I were friends on Facebook for such a long time. And... Uh, Finally, now that we're getting to speak, I remember you posting something on Facebook, and I was like, man, I can't believe me and him have been friends for, on Facebook for so long, and I never asked him to be on the show. And that's the case with a lot of people. I'm friends with a lot of health-minded people and doctors, and sometimes you just forget because Facebook is so big, you forget who you're actually friends with. So I'm so glad that you got a chance to come on and, and be a guest on the show. Likewise. Well, I, I, pre- I appreciate you having me, and, and yeah, there's a uh... 
there's so much out there. Sometimes uh, so some of the best information and resources and relationships can be right under your nose, and you don't even uh, you don't even realize it. So I'm glad and I'm excited for this opportunity to be sharing with people, and uh, and, and hopefully helping helping provide some people uh, some opportunities to to improve their health and and take action. Yeah, I agree with you there. It's like uh, now instead of emailing people, I just usually reach out and see who I'm friends with on Facebook and email them through Facebook because it seems like yep. the, the best way to actually get in touch with everybody now because people are so busy with the email and you never know with email. I had some things going on with email where it's been kind of faulty. So Facebook seems to be the best option out there right now. But Getting into your health journey, Dr. Gala, um, I did some research, and you are a chiropractor by trade. Um, how did you get into being a chiropractor? How did you choose that? I'm getting an echo here. Sure. I'm not sure why. How did you get into oh, choosing that occupation? Yeah, I can hear you. Sure. Yeah, well, when I was um, – when I and for those of you that, uh, that, that, that have heard me lecture before or, or heard, heard, been to one of our classes, I apologize for – but I'll try to make the, this part brief, and that is when I was 10 years old, um, I was remodeling the kitchen to get ready for my mom's wheelchair, and all the doctors had similar responses. They said, you know, we're sorry, we don't know what's wrong uh, with your mom, but uh, she's going to be spending the rest of her life in a wheelchair – so uh, you better get your life in order and, uh, and, and get things lined up. So I have pictures of me uh, when I was a boy uh, with a crowbar and me and my dad and we're tearing apart the kitchen to get ready for her wheelchair. And she went to doctor after doctor and they all said the same thing. Sorry, we can't help you. Um, it got so bad that the school district actually changed their sick care policy and allowed other teachers to donate their sick time to my mom so she didn't lose her job when she was on disability and trying to figure out what was going on. And, and, uh, and one thing that was about my mom is that she's, she's not, uh, you know, she's not a poor me, you know, kind of sit and, uh, and, and just kind of um, lament over her illnesses. I mean, this is a lady that uh, moved up with my dad from Southern California, bought a piece of property in rural Oregon, um, no running water, no electricity, no phone, no road, no house, no, no anything. And uh, bought a chainsaw and just started cutting down logs and building a house from the ground up. Uh, lived in a tent um, and worked, you know, built, you know, built a ranch, raised animals, t- you know, taught full time during the year. Um, so it was a hardworking lady. And to watch her health go from vibrant, you know, working sun up to sundown to complete disability was obviously very hard for our family. And since then, I've dedicated my entire career towards helping people reverse chronic disease, whether it's uh, chronic pain, uh, migraines, um, even some precursors to heart disease, um, diabetes, uh, sleep apnea, uh, neuropathy, uh, fibromyalgia. I could go on and on. And, and that is because we're, we're, we, we are able to work with such a broad range of issues, which is obviously at the heart of the topic we're going to be covering tonight. So fast forward, now my mom is uh, she actually just turned 69 about, uh, let's see here, 10 days ago, and uh, mm-hmm. she's our lead health coach. She just started running 5K races a couple of years ago, winning them in her age group. She's on zero medications, and, uh, you know, she's a 95 plus 99% remission. Um, you know, and I always joke that, that she runs circles around me, and she has to find younger and younger friends uh, that, that can keep <laughs> up with her because she's so, she's so healthy. Um, yeah. Eventually, she was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which is now in complete remission. 
um, among many other things that she had ailments on. But uh, but but we've since been able to successfully reverse that, and that's the same we've done with, well, you know, I don't know how many thousands of people at this point that uh, that we've helped reverse their illnesses as well and help them get off their medications. Yeah, I was going to ask you what she was diagnosed with. Fibromyalgia is pretty like one of those phantom diseases that nobody really understands where the pain is actually coming from. But yep. I think think we're getting more and more of understanding of, of where it's coming from now. But um, when I did my first health talk, um, I remember it very vividly because I was so nervous to get up in front of people and start talking about health. I remember pulling some visuals off of Google. And one of the visuals that I pulled off, it had inflammation as the center piece, and then it had from the inflammation, you had diabetes, you had uh, cancer, you had different types of ailments all coming from that inflammation. But one of the visuals I used to kind of explain inflammation, because I come from basketball, I played basketball for a number of years, was I always kind of related it to a swollen ankle. Like when you see that ankle right. is swollen, and that's the way I always explain it to people. But can you give us a definition of uh, inflammation and maybe give us a little bit of a different visual of how you would actually sure. explain it? Yeah. Well, I, I think that's a really good baseline that you just brought up there. And even as we're talking here, I'll see if I can find – I have something I think is a great visual. I'll see about putting it, putting it uh, on your Facebook page for you and, uh, and any of the listeners um, but it, I, I think the way you describe it is perfect, and that is most people understand inflammation as what you just said. They have a sprained ankle, it swells up, um, and it's acute inflammation. It's, it's um, you know, that's what we know of as inflammation. The inflammation that we're talking about now, <clears throat> and for those of you that are online, they can see it. I just posted it there. Is, uh, and that's actually a map that, that we've uh, put together, compiled based, based on some of our research, and that is there's another type of inflammation called subclinical inflammation. And I like to use the example, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a really low grade, well, it's like, it's like lava below the surface. And it's this real low grade smoldering irritant that over time, depending on what you do, it'll either, it'll either increase or decrease. And if it's increased or elevated even slightly, that over time eventually turns on whatever someone's genetic predisposition is to things such as diabetes, heart disease, cancer, fibromyalgia, neuropathy, essentially the aging process as we know it. So we know inflammation and inflammatory chemicals on a low-grade level. Um, and, Darren, that, you know, Darren, you have inflammation. I have inflammation. People listen to this. Has infl- everyone has inflammation, but it just depends on how high it is for how, how long, and that eventually turns on chronic disease. The problem is that most people don't associate the cause and effect because it's delayed, and uh, and because the cause and effect is so is so far delayed that we that we don't often link the things that cause inflammation to what actually actually uh, is is causing the illness, and we look um, for treating symptoms versus getting the root cause, and we miss the boat entirely on that. Yeah, it seems as though um, as we age, as we get older that we're more susceptible to disease, the, the, the more, what I will call, the, the more uh, serious diseases happen as we age. Um, is that a natural progression 
like as kids, we see a lot less disease, so I'm assuming a lot less inflammation. But as we age, is it accumulation of things, uh, environmental things that might be going on that add to our inflammation as we get older? Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I'd say there's several key factors to understand in that. And I, and I think you just hit one of them on the head. And that is when we're young, um, we're, 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 we feel that we're invincible. And I'm sure that, uh, I'm sure that when you played basketball, uh, you know, years ago, that, that you, were, you probably had a little bit more pep, a little bit more bounce in your step, and a little more resilience the next day than you would if you were to go out and play, try to play the same uh, as, you, as you were today. Uh, I mm-hmm. sure know that's the case for me anyways. And I know that when we're young, our body and our cells are reproducing so fast that we have the luxury of time and resiliency and flexibility or also what's called plasticity in our body, meaning that our bodies are very dynamic, they're responsive, they're flexible. It's like a sapling versus uh, a full-grown tree. A sapling is much more flexible, bending, it responds a lot easier, and you know, it can grow and adapt a lot easier than, than a full-grown tree. So when we're young, we can respond, and, and your body is very resilient. But over, as time goes on, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like with your car. You know, it's not the miles on your car. It's the roads you've been over and how well you've taken care of it. And it's cumulative. But the thing that we know now, especially with some of the emerging research, uh, you know, I'm, I'm friends with uh, Peter Demandes, um, with the Human Longevity, um, uh, you know, in, as well as, you know, some of the familiar with the work that Ray Kurzweil is doing. And I believe that there's a, there's a lot of information out there that's showing that if we're able to reduce and understand inflammation and how its role is, uh, and its effect on, on chronic disease and essentially the aging process, we can essentially start working towards reversing the aging process. And I, I really believe that uh, – I, I don't think it's unreasonable to anticipate that probably within the next – Oh, I'd say maybe 30 or 40 years that living to 100 or 150 uh, is well within our realm. And, and not just, you know, most people when they think of living to 100 or 150, they think, oh, I don't want to live to 100 because most people when they think of, of living to 100, they envision someone that's sitting in a rocker, they're decrepit, they're old, they have wrinkled skin, they're, they're not enjoying life, and they're generally miserable and in pain, they can't get around. Well, of course, no one wants to live to 100 and be like that. But what we're talking about is having quality of life well into our 80s, into our 100s. I believe um, 150 is really um, reachable, even given the research that we have today and some of the advancements. Once it starts hitting mainstream and the cost starts coming down and we start being able to um, essentially democratize that, I believe that we're well on our way to understanding that. And, of course, inflammation and, and governing and understanding inflammation is, is key and central in that role because that is really – um, the, the stem off. And one thing I'll, I'll go back on inflammation is understanding mm-hmm. in that inflammation, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a catch-all phrase. There's a lot of different chemicals that can cause inflammation, and there's a lot, of other, a lot of things in our lives that can cause inflammation. Obviously, with our clients, we normally focus on diet because everyone is going to find a reason to eat three times a day, and most people will find a reason to not exercise. So eating and food is one of the biggest ones that we focus on. Uh, so that's why we work. We start there first, and that's where usually people can have the best um, outcome in terms of losing weight and keeping it off, getting their aches and pains down, improving mental clarity, having more energy, feeling like they can just tackle the day. They can go all day long with all their energy um, and get off their medications, whether it's blood pressure, cholesterol, or diabetes, is understanding and getting down the inflammation and getting to the root cause. 
Yeah, I just wanted to kind of expand on what you said. I read a book not long ago where they said that a human body was perfectly equipped to live for about 150 years. So I, I totally agree with you there. Um, one of the things that comes up is, as you're talking, I'm thinking, one of the biggest things people complain about when they come into a doctor for the first time is fatigue. And then it goes to something else, something more advanced. Um, are there any levels to inflammation? Is there something that someone might look out for as a first sign of inflammation and kind of catch it before sure. it gets to be really, really big? Yeah, there's a lot of tests out there to measure inflammation. A lot of people are familiar with like, um, like like sed rate, um, but, but sed rate is like a, is a very crude inflammatory test. Um, and, and we know that we do that for more overt inflammatory type things. There's also other autoimmune tests, like you can do ANA or, 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 um, um, you know, RF or rheumatoid factor, homocysteine. There's a lot of markers out there for inflammation. One of the ones that I love, and most physicians don't even test for it, or let alone even know about it or know what to do with it, even if they did test it, it's called HSCRP, and, and there's two types of CRP. There's CRP, which is more of the crude test, and then there's HSCRP, which stands for highly sensitive C-reactive protein. I like I like using HSCRP. Now, is it the is it the only test um, out there? No. Is it the is it the best one that we have now? I think it's one of, if not the best test that we have now for measuring subclinical inflammation. Um, in terms of monitoring, because we know that half of all heart attacks, and most people don't even realize this, um, and most physicians don't even realize this, but half of all heart attacks occur in people with normal cholesterol. So we know cholesterol mm-hmm. isn't the issue, but we find that research shows, and this even came out of some of the, the work from uh, Paul Ridker, um, showed that if you have high, high HSCRP, but your cholesterol is low, you're at a higher risk of autoimmune, chronic, and heart disease issues than if your inflammation or your HSCRP is low and your cholesterol is high. So you can have high cholesterol, but if your inflammation is low, it's not an issue. But if your cholesterol is low and you think everything's fine, but you've never tested your inflammation as high, that's actually much worse than, than the flip side and having high cholesterol. So having high inflammation, we know research shows clearly that high inflammation is worse than high cholesterol. Uh, which is why essentially half of all heart attacks occur in people with normal cholesterol. So that's one of the tests that I like. I encourage people to, to, to get that test done. Um, and, and if their physician doesn't know or can't help them with it, then, then have, them, um, have them find a physician um, that can help them with it and, and, and someone that's a little bit less mainstream and stuck with the, the medication model or find what's called a functional medicine practitioner to, to help in their corners. Yeah. Um, with... The test that you mentioned, is that a blood test or a urine test? That's a blood test, and a great question. A lot of people say, oh, well, you know, is it, you know why, hasn't my do- why hasn't my doctor heard about it before? Well, you can actually go online, and I'll see if while we're talking I can, I can find it, but you can actually go online um, and you can find, oh, yeah, here it is. This is the one that I use for our client because we, we obviously, we, we work, you know, essentially internationally, but when I, for the co- for the people that we coach, we use a place called directlabs.com. 
So directlabs.com, you can call them up and you can, you can have self-directed labs. So you go on, um, they end up, um, you, can, you can call in, they, they can order labs for them, they'll find the local lab nearest to you. So you basically tell them your zip code, they find a, an affiliate lab, you pay for it over the phone, you walk in with your lab slip, you go in, it's easy, they do a blood test, um, you walk out, and then they uh, email you or send you um, your, your lab results. So an HSCRP test, uh, I think, can be anywhere from about 25 to $100. I know that's a pretty big range, but it just depends on where you are in the country and which lab you go to. Um, you know, there's a whole set of labs that I suggest people have done, but at a minimum, get their HSCRP test done. You know, there's others that are good as well, but, yeah, it's an easy blood test. Go in have it done and start, start mapping out your, your, your baseline. And you want to be ideally um, less than, um, you, you want to be undetectable essentially. Your HSCRP, and it is important that you get HSCRP, not CRP, needs to be less than um, ideally 0.1. If you're under one, that's good, but you want to be less than, uh, less than 0.1 ideally. Yeah, I'm going to assume that the higher the inflammation is, Let's say you are diabetic. Let's say you have uh, have been diagnosed with a cancer. Um, I'm going to assume that's going to be a high degree of inflammation involved there. If you can reduce that inflammation, and this is very simplified, if you can reduce that inflammation, can you ultimately reduce that condition or reverse that condition? You know, that's a great question. Um, and I would say that the short, the short answer would be yes, meaning that we know that, that for instance, cancer, it, essentially, if you look at even like, like when, you go, when you go through medical school, it doesn't matter whether you're a naturopath or an MD or a chiropractor, whatever it is, when you go through, you have to go through basic pathophysiology, anatomy, you know, you have to go through all these basic stuff. And there's a textbook called Robin's Pathology. And in this book, what we find is that, um, that the, the, it, in, the, in the book, it goes through very basic disease process. So, for instance, when you're looking at Robin's pathology, what you'll find is, is that, or, or the pathological basis of disease, or Robin's pathology. So, what you'll find is that in the beginning of the book, it talks about how inflammation is central in, to, in terms of disease process. And then for the next two, three, four hundred pages, it essentially goes through and it talks about all the different diseases, which essentially just means cancer is essentially just inflammation in the cells. Uh, diabetes is inflammation in the pancreas. Uh, heart disease is inflammation in the heart. A stroke is typically inflammation in the brain. Um, uh, you know, it, it, sleep apnea, even the research that we published on sleep apnea, which is now actually being reproduced in Australia, which is, which is wonderful. Um, you know, the research we published on sleep apnea shows that sleep apnea is essentially inflammation um, in your pharyngeal tissues that causes the airway to collapse, that causes uh, the choking and the snoring um, at night or, or when people are, are suffering from sleep apnea. So, um, it's clearly understood that inflammation is central and key in this. But what happens is now the fork in the road occurs in that most medical students, um, what happens is then they go on, after they learn the basics of, of disease, is then they go on to learn about what medications to do to reduce the symptoms and what surgeries to do to remove the, the, the pathological tissue. But very few practitioners um, really understand or get to the point of prevention. Why? Because as sad as it sounds, our, our, the U.S. is set up that most people don't go to the doctor when they feel great 
most people go to the doctor when they have an issue. So we've created this model to where doctors have to really be more firefighters as opposed to contractors. And when people come in, they're sick, they already have cancer, and it's, you know, uh, they're kind of, they don't have the luxury of time anymore. And the providers, they have to do what they have to do. So they need to give either medications to, to, to quickly lower either a blood, blood pr- uh, pressure issue or a cholesterol issue, um, mm-hmm. or they have to go in and they have to cut out a cancer. So they're, they're, they're essentially forced to, um, to, to quickly react. And in this quick reaction, it doesn't lend itself to really constructive foundational building in terms of disease reversal, and it perpetuates. And then you have these doctors in practice that then go on to teach other, other um, new interns when they get out of school, and the interns just take that as status quo. And then you have this perpetual um, misguided representation of the way healthcare really is, and it's more of a sick care model. Um, and then people wonder why uh, their doctor just tells them drugs. Well, it's just the way that the world is set up, unfortunately. Yeah, you mentioned earlier in the in the show in the interview of inflammation turning on certain genetic markers and making us more susceptible to certain diseases. But um, I'm thinking about maybe something as simple as a cold. Does inflammation come into play? Maybe suppressing our immune system to a certain degree. That's a very good uh, question, and. Um, I think there's a, there's a good way to look at this. A lot of people say, oh, I, I, I got sick. Um, my immune system must be, be, be down. Well, what we find is that, um, it, uh, that we, what we, we have what's called an acute phase response. And what I mean by that is that your body, uh, well, think about this for people listening, is that when you get, when you get sick and you, let's say you have a fever or you have a, yeah, let's, say you, let's say you get sick, and your body aches all over the place. Well, what we find is, and I know you were asking before about low energy and so forth, what we find is that mm-hmm. essentially when you're, when you're sick, you ache everywhere. And what we find is that that aching comes from your body's inflammatory response. So essentially, an overactive, uh, or essentially when you get sick, it's your body's immune system being overactive, not underactive. Because when you have an underactive immune system, that's when you get opportunistic infections, such as in the case of like uh, HIV and AIDS, is that your, your immune system is depressed, and so you get an opportunistic type infection. So when you, when you feel sick, or let's say that you feel like, oh, I got the flu, or I have a fever, or I have a runny nose, that's your immune system being active or potentially even overactive, or your inflammatory response being overactive, which is why... When, when you get sick, a lot of people, when they have a fever, they get sick, their joints kind of ache, they're stiff, they're achy, they're sore, their energy's down, they, they feel generally miserable. Why? Because their body is at a heightened inflammatory state. And what we find is people with high inflammation, such as people with chronic fatigue, leaky gut, fibromyalgia, etc., those people, their inflammation level is up for an extended amount of time. So it's like they feel sick all the time. So if people go out through their day and they feel like, oh, I have these headaches or I just feel tight or I feel like I always need a, sh- um, a shoulder massage or my neck is tight or I just feel stiff or they're having to kind of stretch throughout the day or their joints kind of ache, it's because they have too much inflammation. And when that inflammation hangs out for too long, it can lead to things like arthritis in the joints. Uh, it can lead to migraines, diabetes, being overweight, sleep apnea, etc. So 
that's the issue, and that's, that's what happens when your inflammation is too high. You have an overreactive immune response. Yeah. Um, getting to the body and things that might cause inflammation. <clears throat> right now, we have our bodies are seeing things that we've never seen before. We've, we're seeing Wi-Fi. We're seeing smartphones. We're sitting in front of computers all day. Most of us work at a place where the computers are there all day, every day. And then we go home and we get on the computer even more. <laughs> yeah. Is this and I'm sitting in front of a computer right now doing the show, but is this adding to our inflammation? Yeah, uh, great, great question. And, and I think that's important to, to recognize. And that is that, um, you, you know, you, you, you can't out-exercise or you can't out-eat. Or let me back up. You, 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 can't, you can't out-exercise a bad diet. And you can't out-exercise or you can't out-eat a, a, a couch potato lifestyle. So it, it comes with all of it. I mean, you can't have a race car um, that has the best components and you can't just go over there and pour, uh, you know, mud in the gas tank and expect anything to happen. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how great of a car you have. If you put mud in the gas tank or water, it's not going to go. I mean, everything has to be working right. I'm not, not saying people can't live a life or that they have to be 100% compliant, but what we find is that, um, all of these things add up. You know, I know there's research to suggest that sitting is now considered the, the new smoking. And I think there's things out there that, that show just like smoking. I mean, you know, Darren, it took us, what, you know, several decades before we all agreed that smoking wasn't good for us. I mean, there was times where doctors even recommended smoking. So uh, we look at the, the cause and effect and it's delayed. I mean, you look at, I mean, just even some of the medications. I mean, the, the FDA just a couple, you know, a year or so ago reversed its position on, on NSAIDs or aspirin. You know, it doesn't even recommend aspirin like it used to. And we were all under the mantra, oh, you know, you should take an aspirin a day for your heart. And now they no longer recommend that. Uh, you know, even the same thing with, uh, with, with, with Vioxx being pulled off the market or, uh, or Celebrex and all the concerns with that. Um, so when we look at these issues, we find that, when you go home and you sit for a long time or you have Wi-Fi, I think what happens is just like the FDA, when they pull a drug off the market, the first thing to remember is that they also approve that drug in the first place. Um, so that's obviously a big red flag. So just because the FDA approved a drug does not mean that it's safe because they often time at once the research builds up enough, then they just pull it off the market. But that's a long time, just like cigarettes. It took decades for the research to be there. Same kind of thing with people that sit a lot at a job or people that are exposed to a lot of Wi-Fi. Well, we know sitting isn't good, and I believe that there's continually uh, more and more research coming out about uh, radiation and, and Wi-Fi and all these things that we're exposed to that can have a negative effect. And the, that a lot of these things are so new that we're being exposed to. I think you hit it right on the head in that a lot of these things we're exposed to today, they aren't um, – they, 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 they aren't – they have not been around long enough for our bodies to respond to, and we don't have enough time to understand the, the long-term effects. And because we're humans, we, you know, we want to be able to drive up and get a coffee right now in this instant. And we think that everything is instant. So we think that if I'm, if I'm you know, in a Wi-Fi-filled building and I have, I'm soaked in Wi-Fi all day, or I have my phone next to my ear uh, and it's been there for a month and I haven't gotten brain cancer yet, we think it's fine. Well, how long do you have to smoke before, you know, you, you get lung cancer? 
you know, same kind of thing. And that's the problem. So we know that the more you can get your body to a natural healthy state of moving, standing, being active, good social interaction, good food, good supplements, uh, laughing, having fun, clean water, clean air, you're going to be healthy. Um, but we do so many things that are so far off base from that that we're just filling ourselves with all these things that increase inflammation and therefore cause us to be overweight, um, gain, uh, yeah, gain weight, lose in, or lower energy, and lead to chronic disease and illnesses. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to ask you a little bit about obesity because I always understood obesity as just an inflammatory response to having a toxic load. And I'm wondering is I've heard so much things about detox. I, and you've probably seen a lot of this stuff on Facebook where people are saying detox is bogus. You don't really need to do any detox. But there are people out there who are carrying an enormous toxic load. How, and that's contributing to the obesity. How is all that connected with, with regards to the, the inflammatory response? Yeah, and I and I and I agree with you. I think there is a lot of stuff out there. Um, and again, I think it's it's kind of kind of catering to the the crowd and the mentality that wants a quick fix. Um, you know, we all know it's it, it's the long game that that matters. I mean, for I mean, uh, you know, it's 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 a it's like a marriage. You know, it, you you don't go out to the bar and uh, you know and, and have a one night stand and expect to build a long term relationship. Obviously, that, that's that's not the way that you have lasting uh, relationships. The the way you do it is is you find someone that you're truly connected with and you nurture that relationship over a lifetime. And health should be the same way. You can't go out and just expect to find something and that's going to be the, the quick fix. So all these detoxes and things that are out there, uh, you know, some people can get some relief from them and some results probably because a lot of them are, are essentially low caloric, uh, almost almost like a, a mild fasting type type cleanse or if you will and just in that state people are, are stopping eating temporarily all the inflammatory foods or doing inflammatory things so they feel a little bit better so they they equate it to the cleanse but really they really what they what it was equated to is the fact that they just stopped eating or consuming all this inflammatory junk uh, for a day or two and so their body feels better just from that so I think from the obesity rate, I mean, we're, we're over two-thirds of the population is, is overweight or obese, and we have some states now that are upwards of 35% obesity rates, not, not overweight, because, of course, you have normal, then you have overweight, then you have obese. So we have some states that are now at 35% obesity rates, and we now know, myself and my, my fellow researchers and, and, and colleagues have identified that fat or adipose tissue is now considered its own organ in that it literally pumps and secretes and squirts small amounts of inflammatory chemicals into your blood all day long. So being overweight or obese, that's why it's so bad for your health because it's squirting little bits of inflammation all day long into your blood, and that can lead to uh, a compromised health. Getting to food, because there's a lot out there about eliminating foods, um, maybe something like eliminating gluten, which I'm sensitive to gluten myself, and you talked a little earlier about arthritis, and when I, once I pulled the gluten out of my diet, that particular thing went away for me personally, but how much is food contributing to our inflammation? Yeah, and, and, and I think that that's a great, great question, and I think it's a, it's a really uh, relevant one, especially when you consider 
uh, how much misinformation is out there. And I, I, I like to use a really clear example, and that is, uh, you know, you wouldn't feed a lion a bale of hay, and you <laughs> wouldn't give a horse a steak. And when it comes to animals, for some reason, humans, we think it's very clear and very obvious. Uh, you know, I mean, if you fed a lion a, a bale of hay, uh, let's say every day for two weeks, and it started to get sick, you know, let's say it had low energy, let's say it started feeling sick, it started, wasn't very healthy, it was lethargic, irritable, losing weight, or, or not healthy, the average person would say, well, of course, you know, it, it's you know, the average person would not say, well, you better give it some, some drugs or some medications. The average person would realize you're giving a lion, which is a carnivore, and you're giving it uh, hay, and you're giving it grass, and that, that's completely against its genetics. That's a complete genetic discordance. So what we find is that humans are no different, and people really like, humans really like to muddle this issue, and it doesn't have to be complicated. And what do I mean by that? Well, and I think one of the things you brought up, so I'll just touch on it, um, is gluten. And when it comes mm-hmm. to gluten, I really believe that's just the tip of the iceberg when we're looking at grains. We know grains um, can increase tissue acidity, which can lead to inflammation. We know grains on a, poor, on a per so, – so, so number one, grains contain gluten. Um, they also contain other glycoproteins that can cause inflammation, leaky gut, all these other issues that have been linked to even headaches, um, even in some cases cerebral ataxia. Uh, which is essentially difficulty walking or balance. We also know, number two, grains contain uh, increased tissue acidity, which can lead to inflammation and chronic disease. Number three, we know grains um, are a poor source of fiber on a per-calorie basis compared to vegetables. So we know that, obviously, we're, we need less calories in our diet because we're, most of us are overweight or, or obese. So we, grains are not a good source of fiber, which most people say, oh, that's why you eat grains, it's high in fiber. We also know grains are a horrible source of micronutrients, which is why if you look at a loaf of bread or a box of crackers or cereal, it says enriched wheat flour. Uh, and most people have noticed that. If you look on the back of, of cereal or, or, or bread or something, it will say enriched. What does that mean? It means that they had to add a multivitamin to the dough or the flour because it wasn't healthy enough on its own. Uh, number five, grains are a, a high glycemic index and load, meaning it spikes your blood sugar and it can help perpetuate things like diabetes, <clears throat> obesity, skin tags, um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and acne. Uh, number six, grains also contain a pro-inflammatory omega-6, omega-3 ratio, meaning that think of all the health benefits someone has ever heard of omega-3s and being anti-inflammatory, meaning, meaning omega-3s found in you know, fish and fish oils, reducing in arthritis and Alzheimer's and all these things. We know grains contain high amounts of omega-6s, which do just the opposite. Omega-6s turn on inflammation. Omega-3s turn off inflammation. So, omega- so anytime you eat grains, you're essentially negating the positive effects of the fish oil you just took. Uh, number seven, we know grains are indigestible in the raw form, meaning um, if you were to, well, think of this. You know, Most people have eaten corn, and they've noticed it the next morning. Why? Because our body does not digest it, and that's why you see corn the next morning uh, number eight, we know grains promote weight gain um, because it spikes your insulin and, and it makes you gain weight. Number nine, uh, grains contain phytic acid, 
which if you're female and you're concerned about osteoporosis, that's a big one because we know phytic acid can potentially disrupt mineral um, metabolism. Um, and we also know that grains contain a chemical called wheat germagglutin, which can be potentially problematic or inflammatory. So, I mean, and I could keep going, but there's at least 10 things right there as to why grains are inflammatory, and, and gluten is just one of those. So going gluten-free is great, but going gluten-free is just the tip of the iceberg, and that's why I typically suggest people go grain-free as best they can, or at least try to eliminate it, um, so they eliminate all those uh, all those toxins and all those uh, inflammatory responses. Yeah, getting that, you mentioned something about vegetables. I wanted to kind of hop into foods here. Um, one of the things I've been hearing a lot about is turmeric as being good for reducing inflammation. Are there any other out uh, foods out there that help with reducing inflammation other than, than turmeric? Oh, sure. Yeah. And turmeric, um, <clears throat> to be clear, turmeric reduces inflammation by working downstream in what's called the autocoid or a costanoid uh, pathway. So turmeric works to help modulate what's called like your, your, your Cox uh, enzymes. Um, um, it, it helps modulate inflammation. That's why it's helpful. It doesn't necessarily get to the root cause. So um, basically, if you eat, for, so this is a perfect segue. So for instance, if you eat grain products, or if you eat things that are high in omega-6 fatty acids, such as grains, flowers, corn, seeds, seed oils, or grain-fed meat, your body gets full of, of omega-6s, which then get turned into inflammatory chemicals. Turmeric stops or prevents and helps modulate that conversion of omega-6 fatty acids into inflammatory chemicals. So turmeric can help, but it's not getting to the root cause. So it's not really enough to be able to eat to eat all these grains and then just take turmeric and expect everything to be okay. Ideally, you want to not only cut out the grains and the omega-6s, but you also want to take things like turmeric, curcumin, um, you know, um, flavonoids, uh, white willow bark can help, um, you know, ginger. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of essentially any of your spices and herbs can be very anti-inflammatory and can help modulate, um, modulate that pathway. Even magnesium can be a powerful mm -hmm. one. So magnesium is a powerful one, and most people are deficient in magnesium. Um, and then, of course, taking things like fish oil uh, can be very powerful for that as well. I'm a big fan of, obviously, vitamin D. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's four main supplements that I suggest everyone needs to be taking. Fish oil, and in the right dosage, meaning fish oil, two to 3,000 milligrams a day. Uh, vitamin D with vitamin K. So vitamin D, typically five to 10,000 international units a day. The other one would be magnesium, typically 500 to 1,000 milligrams a day. And then the other one would be a multivitamin. And if you're, if, you're, um, if you're female and you're still menstruating, then get it with iron. If you are not female or you are past uh, or you're postmenopausal, then I would suggest getting it without iron. If you start with just what I call the, the kind of the core four, if you start with that, um, that can be a great segue or great foundational piece to filling in a lot of the nutritional gaps that the average person uh, is experiencing in helping reduce inflammation and being preventative and also helping in, in re reducing or, or modulating or tempering the immune and, and inflammatory response. Yeah. Last couple of things I want to ask you, just different things that we might use to or how they might affect our inflammation markers, I guess you would say. Um, sleep. A lot of people are not getting enough sleep. Does that affect us when it comes to inflammation? 
It, it does, and I can actually uh, – I have a, a study on this that we published that I can actually – I can try to post this as well. There's a study that we did that uh, looked at uh, when people aren't sleeping, how that affects inflammation. And this actually came about from some of our, um, some of our research on sleep apnea. And what we found is that when people aren't sleeping very well, their inflammation level goes up. And when their inflammation level goes up, it actually can lead to worsened sleep. So you get this feed-forward positive uh, feedback loop that can actually perpetuate itself, which is why so many people may say, oh, I have insomnia or I have trouble sleeping or I have trouble, uh, yeah, I have trouble sleeping or I have insomnia. My brain doesn't turn off or I wake up and I don't feel, I don't feel rested when I wake up or I don't, I'm not able to jump out of bed ready to tackle the day. If you're not able to do that, then we know that you're not getting enough sleep or you're not getting deep enough rested sleep. Um, we actually just did a, um, uh, an interview, uh, Michael Brewis, the sleep doctor, me, um, it's been a couple weeks ago, um, on, on sleep and how that works. And that's one of the things that we were discussing is, is how powerful sleep is in terms of inflammation. And most people don't realize that, you know, you're spending seven, eight hours a day of your life, and most people don't realize how powerful that is. Um, you know, you work for eight hours a day, and think of how much thought and energy goes into work versus you sleep for eight hours and how much thought and energy actually goes into your sleep. Um, and, and that's one area I would absolutely recommend. I think you're, I think you're right on to be recognizing the, the importance of sleep, the power of sleep, and how important that is at reducing that, that and appreciating that chronic inflammatory state that underlies the expression of most diseases. Yeah, um, exercise or lack of. There's a lot of people out there who don't do exercise or don't like exercise. Can exercise help us with uh, reducing that inflammation? Yeah, and of course that's a, that's a um, that's an obvious one at first glance. But there's also mm-hmm. some things about it. Like when we work with clients, when we bring a, a new client into one of our coaching programs or, or whatever it is, typically I don't recommend exercise. And I know this may sound weird, but I. I, I pretty regularly do actually discourage people from exercising. And why is that? Well, if someone is making some changes, um, if you do too much at once, you're not going to win. And uh, mm-hmm. I was actually having dinner one time with uh, the Stanford um, PhD, B.J. Fogg, on behavior. And he's a brilliant, brilliant man. And he was talking about how, how and why people do behavior. And at the, at the conclusion of our, of, our, of our conversation together, uh, it, it really reinforced a lot of things and, and educated me in a lot of things in terms of human behavior. And it's actually helped us even work and, and fine-tune our coaching programs and the fact that when we work with clients, I don't, I, I don't recommend them to exercise. Why? Because it's overwhelming. And if people have a sense of winning or being successful, they'll usually throw the towel in on everything. Most people are, are all or none, meaning I'm going to either follow this diet, and if I deviate or follow this diet, I'm just going to go back to eating junk all the time, and what's the point? Um, so what I tell people is don't worry about exercising. Just focus on doing small things first, meaning try, focus on eating um, some better foods or focus on taking uh, some more supplements. Because if you're inflamed, actually, if, you're, if your inflammation is high and you go out and exercise, there's research to suggest that that can actually be almost worse for you than not because the highest, one of the highest times of production of free radical and, free, and potential free radical damage is during exercise. So if you're at a high level of inflammation and you go out and you start exercising vigorously and your body's not used to it or it's not adapted for it, 
you can have such an inflammatory response that it actually has deleterious or negative health effects on your body's tissues or your cells. So if you're not essentially healthy to a certain level and you go out and you exercise too much, and I don't mean just like walking or going for a stroll, which obviously is great if you can even just do that, but if you do too much too soon, um, you can actually have an acute phase response where you feel miserable, you get more inflamed, and it actually creates a negative uh, imbalance in your body and an over-expression of inflammation. So I, I think that's a really good point, and I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah, I wanted to ask you on the, on the flip side of that, though. Um, if you're someone like me who likes exercise, has been exercising for a number of years, when does it become counterproductive, though? Because you see people who are in the gym exercising two, three hours a day, is that counterproductive? Right. Is that adding to inflammation? Where, where do you draw the fine line? Yeah, and, uh, and and I would be the first one to admit that um, you know I'm I'm a I'm a I'm an Ironman triathlete. Uh, you know I've ran marathons. I've done track, decathlon in, in college, and uh, you know exercising and performing at that level of intensity uh, is isn't isn't healthy. Uh, you know the, the body's not meant to be going you know 10 or 11 hours a day. Uh, you know like like these, some of these you know Ironman people and so forth or, or these ultra endurance. So even though they may look uh, outwardly healthy, I think that that long-term um, pounding on the body and long-term holding your body at that level of, of performance that long, you just don't get the recovery time. I'm I'm a bigger fan. Uh, even right now, I'm doing some training right now for for some um, so for some 5K races and so forth, and I'm doing some training specific for that. Um, I, I'm I'm a big I'm a big fan of short um, exercise that uh, and or intensity type exercise and ultimately even more than that i really encourage people to do exercise that is fun for them whether it's playing basketball or whether it's walking with friends or whether it's um you know playing racquetball or swimming or playing with their kids or their grandkids uh, or, or some people cleaning the house or vacuuming doing some type of gardening doing some form of physical activity that someone enjoys that will be the key to success for them, not only sticking with it, but also long-term. And I, I think probably a reasonable amount of exercise to get benefits, is, is, I think research shows, typically is going to be 15 minutes to an hour, depending on intensity. But even doing 5, 10 to 15 minutes a day of just something, walking, moving, exercising, jogging, dancing, yoga, whatever it is, is going to be better than nothing. So for people, most people listening, just doing that is going to be better and obviously than nothing and if you're of any level of fitness, you know, doing, doing a little bit of, of intensity, just enough to get your heart rate up and to get it up for even 30 seconds at a time, uh, you know, is great. I'm a big fan of what's called the, the peak eight, and Dr. Mercola talks about this. Uh, in, in the peak eight, you know, you talk about where you do 30 seconds of intensity and then a minute and a half of, of light, and then you do 30 seconds of intensity and then 90 seconds of light. So you do that eight times, and what it does is it spikes your heart rate, goes down. Spikes your heart rate, goes down. Most people can only do, you know, two or three of those before they're they're exhausted if you first start. But working up to eight is great. But even if you just do one, that's great. But I think the key is, if you can get your heart rate up for even thirty seconds to a minute, most people uh, very rarely experience that level of physical exertion. So if you can work up to that, that's wonderful. But once you get longer than you know, half an hour or an hour, um, you know, then, then you, I think you run, start running the risk of doing more damage than good. And candidly, you can get great health benefits by doing less and focusing on intensity as opposed to doing 
uh, more and and doing being less intense with the exercise. Yeah, I'm sure we could get into a bigger discussion on telomeres and all of that stuff, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah. But um, I discovered meditation about six years ago, and I always tell people that's been my savior for really reducing my stress levels because six years ago I was what I would say I was kind of off the chain when it came to stress, but how important is it to reduce the stress levels to be able to reduce the inflammatory response in our bodies? Boy, I, I, you know, you can, you can think yourself into, into disease and inflammation and, you know, you just look at people that worry uh, and how worry um, and stress can lead to everything from headaches and tension, muscle tension, um, you, you know, high blood pressure, all those things. And, I mean, there's research that shows that uh, people that even have pets, um, you know, can, can lower their blood pressure. Even just petting a cat, for instance, or a dog um, can lower blood pressure. So we know that things that reduce and soothe mental stress is huge. So, and I, and I know Tony Robbins even talked about, you know, he wakes up and he says, look, if you don't have 10 minutes in the morning to take care of yourself, you don't have a life. Uh, and, and he has a routine that he does in the morning. And, and I think that's good. And I have my routine in my morning to set the day. Uh, and, and I do something every morning, um, or I try to anyways, that's either exercise and or, and or my, a mental exercise um, or both to map out my day, map out what I'm doing, exercise. So that way I have a win under my belt. That way, mentally, I don't stress throughout the day of, oh, my gosh, i got to work out this evening, or if I miss it, or something happens, uh, that I don't beat myself up. Because normally in the morning, I can wake up, and I think you're, I think you, you're right on in that you, you do your meditation, you, do your, your, you, you get centered, you get focused, you, you figure out whatever you're doing, you do some relaxation and or exercise, and you get that health win right out of the gate first thing in the morning, and then you, you've won the day. Um, and, that, and that's really big, because a lot of people beat themselves up, because at the end of the day, they think, oh, I didn't do this, or I didn't do that, or oh my gosh, it's late, i got to pick up the kids, and I'm already late for dinner, and I don't have time to exercise, life is stressed. And then they beat themselves up mentally, and they say, oh, they, they feel like a failure, and they tell themselves they're a failure, and that adds more stress. And then they go to bed exhausted and stressed because they didn't exercise, and they beat themselves up mentally. And, and I mean, we have enough negative mental chatter in the world. We don't need to be down on ourselves any more than the rest of the world that's already portraying mm-hmm. and marketing all this stuff out there. I really think that, that the mental stress that we put ourselves under, under in terms of work, trying to be the, 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 perfect, uh, the perfect partner, uh, the perfect employee or team member, um, you know, the, the perfect person in society, we put a lot of stresses and burdens on ourselves. So if you're not making time for yourself to relax. Oops, did I, did I lose you there? Yeah, yeah you no, lost you me for a second. Sorry about that. That's okay. So, yeah, so in terms of that, I would just say absolutely that the, the mental component is, is huge and paramount in terms of, and whatever that is, whether it's, whether it's um, meditation or exercise or just focusing or journaling, uh, you know, find out what works for you and do it because that, that absolutely can, can, uh, can have what's called a, a no placebo effect. Most people are familiar with what's called placebo effect. Placebo Uh is when you have a positive reaction based on the power of suggestion and thought. Nocebo is when you have a negative reaction based on the power of thought or suggestion or perceived outcome. So when you, when you, when you have stress, 
um, that will and that we know research clearly shows that if you have stress and you and you and you anticipate or you um, kind of have this proclamation of, of a negative view of the world or stress or situation that that can of itself um, stimulate and perpetuate inflammatory and disease state and response yeah Dr. Gallup, that's all I had, man. It's been a pleasure. Um, I'm sure that when people listen to this interview, they're probably going to want to know what your website is and maybe some contact information since you do work with people all over. So give us your uh, website and maybe if you want to share your contact information as well. Sure. Yeah. We um, so the best way to get a hold of us would be to you know to listen to either either podcasts on inflammation or just health in general. There's a lot of resources. They can go to uh, drthadgala.com. So that's D R T H A D G A L A dot com, and they can check that out. Uh, they can also check out our clinics, uh, our resources. If they have questions on supplements, there's free downloads, etc. Uh, we do uh, we do obviously personalized health coaching nationwide for people that want to um, reverse uh, chronic disease, whether it's diabetes, fibromyalgia, sleep apnea, neuropathy, uh, lose weight, etc. Without drugs or surgery. So they can reduce or eliminate medications and have a crystal clear, fun, easy, enjoyable roadmap to getting their health back so they can really be the best version of themselves. So, again, they can go to drthadgala.com and check out more resources. Obviously, our team uh, is quite full, so we do have a screening process. If someone is wanting to coach with us, you you can't just go on there and and join up with one of our coaching programs. Um, It is individualized, which is, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons we get such high success rates, but certainly people can reach out to us and and start that process if they're interested in learning more um, or they want to know more about what we do either in our clinics or uh, with our remote coaching nationwide. Yeah, and don't you have a free ebook on your your site? Is it for diabetes or I can't remember, but I know I saw it on there. Right. We well, we have a general um, uh, general health ebook that I think is I think it's okay. keystone to, for everyone to understand. Um, and then they can also go to if if someone is specifically diabetic, they can go to my diabetic solution and they can find more okay. pertinent diabetic information there. But if they go to the main website dr or drthadgala.com. Um, they can get the, the overview, and that can really be kind of the, the jumping-off point so people can start uh, figuring out which direction they want to go. They can start losing weight, feeling good, mental clarity, reducing headaches um, w- without, uh, without drugs or surgery so they can, again, have a clear roadmap of getting in control of their health. Cool beans, man. Thank you for being on, Dr. Gallo. Darren, thank you so much. It was wonderful, wonderful being here. Great questions. I hope people learned a lot of information. I'm so glad that you reached out. It's been a pleasure uh, getting to know you over these last couple of weeks and uh, uh, and months, even more in in depth. And certainly, if I can be of any help in the future, I'm happy to uh, I'm happy to be of assistance any way I can. And and thank you so much for having me on today. Thank you. Have a great evening. All right. Thank you. You too. All right. Goodbye. All right. Bye. All right. Another great show uh, in the bag. Uh, Next week, there won't be a show on Monday. We will be coming back with a show on uh, Wednesday. So I have Dr. Michael Wallfield on. Again, Dr. Wallfield was on a couple of months back. I don't know if it was, well, maybe last year, I think it was, and we talked about supplements. So if you want to kind of brush up on that we talked about what's in supplements. Um, can't remember the exact name of the show is a couple of months ago, but you look for supplements. You want to go on iTunes and download the show, or you are listening from blog talk radio platform. Just go on and search for supplements. I think it's with something entitled maybe what's in my supplements. So that was a great show. 
lot of people out here are using supplements. You may not know what's in them. Really good show. But this time, this Wednesday, we'll be discussing uh, cancer and emotion. So Dr. Wallfield came down here to South Florida. I actually got a chance to meet him. We met in person. We started um, what I would call powwowing. And we started uh, talking about different ailments. And one of the things I've expressed before is my mom passed away from breast cancer. And I wonder how much of that might have been involved uh, with her uh, her emotions emotionally. So we'll be talking a lot about cancer and emotions and, and how emotions play such a big part in disease and what we're feeling or what we're not feeling or what we're not expressing with our emotions. So that should be a really great show. And that'll be on Wednesday of next week. I'll have Monday off. And then um, hopefully I'm supposed to have a show. Well, maybe we might have a show Monday. Um, I'm trying to coordinate with a gentleman. He's in Australia, which is a full day to, day, day ahead of me. So I'm not sure how we're going to, to work this out. So there's, there, there might be a show Monday. I'm not going to promise that. But for Wednesday, I know it's on the schedule that we'll have Dr. Michael Wallfield on. And then at the end of the month, which is the last Wednesday of the month, we'll have um, a gentleman named Angela on talking about plant paleo, which I'm very interested in. have never heard about this, and it's something to deal with paleo, but it's also adding a lot of plant-based foods. And this guy is pretty pretty ripped, pretty in shape, and I wanted to see what he's doing. He's also on the verge of having a baby. His wife is pregnant, so I don't know how this is all going to play out. Um, so be on the lookout for that uh, on the, the last Wednesday of the month and and talking with him about plant paleo, and then we'll jump into July, and I'm still scheduling July right now, so hopefully we'll have some really great shows uh, for July. So thanks for listening tonight. Peace and love, y'all. One love. I'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.